I know Valentine's Day isn't in the Bible, but how many of you know loving your wife is in the Bible? Amen. And, and, and even loving your husband, too. And so we, we, uh, we can kind of use that just as a uh, impetus for preaching on that particular subject and, and just getting excited about our spouse and loving him and, and doing it God's way. You know, and St. Valentine's Day, you know, St. Valentine was a, was a Catholic, and, and I could go through, and I've done that numerous times. I've told the congregation all the history of St. Saint, of Saint Valentine's and Valentine's Day and all that good stuff, but we're not going to do it today. <laughs> but we are going to talk about the Word of God today, amen? And how that we as couples are heirs of the grace of life. That's a powerful statement. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Peter uh, third chapter, seventh verse, and we're going to look at that verse of scripture. There's a lot in that verse. You can barely fit when you do exegesis and you go through all the ramifications of a verse. Sometimes you can get 10 verses into a sermon. Sometimes there's so much in one verse, you can only do about one verse and it fills up a sermon pretty quickly because there's so many cool things that I want to share out of this verse. And it's a, just a, a phenomenal uh, little verse there over there in Peter. So let's bow our heads. Let's pray. We're going to get into uh, the word today, and we're, we're going to just be uh, each other's valentine today. Amen? Husbands and wives, can I get a big amen on that? Amen. amen. All right. Well, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the love of God. I thank you for the love between husbands and wives, that your love is shed abroad in our heart when we're born again. Father, we can love with a new kind of love, the agape love that you have given us, not the storge love. Father, not just the eros love, not just the filio love, but the agape kind of love in our relationships. Father, I ask that you give us clarity of mind and articulation of speech, boldness of spirit to talk on these subjects. Father, to be your oracle, not, not what my ideas might be, but what the word says. And Father, let us all be quick to embrace and do the word. Give each one here ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will, Father, to do those things that we find in the word and as we talk about it. Father, may it be engrafted into our heart and change our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, First Peter, I'm just going to read that verse, and we're going to just look at some things there and uh, some responsibilities to men. And this is kind of, uh, today is going to be kind of man-heavy on the man side's responsibility, and where the men are going to have to do a good job giving, and the ladies are just going to have to do a good job receiving. Can I get an amen? So all the ladies were, were saying, yeah, that's right. That's the way it ought to be. <laughs> so we're, we're excited about that because we want to give. If you're, if you're a true leader, if you're a true Christ-like leader, you get excited about laying down your life for your spouse. Amen. And so that's different than the world. The world just wants to take. The world wants it all handed to them on a platter. But when the agape love of God lives inside you, you want to meet the other person's need because you know that automatically is going to motivate them to be a blessing back to you. And that's how love works. It's reciprocating. It's wonderful. You know, God first loved us so we can love him. First love your wife, uh, men, and she can love you more. Because then you're modeling Christ because he loved us first so we could love him. Well, you know, we're his bride, and that's how it works. So with your bride, love her first and see if she won't love you back more. And there's something very powerful about those principles that we see Jesus demonstrating for all of us. All right. Hopefully everybody's there. 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now, that's just in that culture in that day, the weaker vessel. You know, it was an agrarian society. You know, uh, you plowed the fields behind an ox. You lifted everything you carried. Well, I mean, that's just talking about 
women aren't physically as strong as men. I mean, and that's not a newsflash, you know. And that, so that, that's what that's on. It's not talking about they're weaker mentally or in their leadership skills or, or anything. It just means that they're not as physically strong. And so don't take that like, oh, man, that, that. No, it's not a negative. The weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. How many of you want your prayers to work today? And, and your relationship with your spouse will determine to a large degree whether you'll see prayers get answered. And that's part of being inheriting the grace of life. Grace is a wonderful thing. Grace is the power to overcome sin. Grace, yes, is the power to be forgiven. Grace is unmerited favor. But more so, as we look at the different definitions of grace, grace is the power to overcome sin and to live godly in this, in this world. A lot of people want to abuse grace and see how much sin they can get by with and still have a license for it and be right with God. Grace isn't to see how low you can go. Grace will take you higher than you ever thought you could go. And so when you look at it through those eyes, the grace is an empowerment. It's not a bailout. It's not just a safety net, even though in one sense it is a bailout and a safety net. That's not its highest priority. That, that's just the, the kind of uh, default side of grace. And the default side is, yes, he does forgive us when we sin. Yes, he does help us. But grace... If you're grace, you should be empowered. If you're grace, you should be walking in a greater measure of victorious living. And God has given us grace, and we need to access that grace with our faith, the Bible says. That's how we access grace, is with faith. So we're going to look at some things. So what is knowledge? Men, you're supposed to dwell with your wives according to knowledge. What is that? Well, you know, there's no knowledge, you know, greater than the word and the, the word is what gives knowledge. It says grace and peace. This is over there in First Peter. Second uh, Peter, excuse me, 1. And I think it's right around verse 3, right in there. I, I, I don't have it in my notes. But it, it's just, you know, grace and peace is multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know the more you know about God, the more grace you can access and begin to walk in? You, how are you going to walk in the grace that there's healing available to us if you've never read the Bible and you don't know that? See, it's going to be according to your faith. It's going to be according to your expectation. Your faith and your expectation begins where the will of God is known. And so knowledge of God is what? Grace and peace is multiplied to us through the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the knowledge of God, where do we get the knowledge of God? And we all know what that answer is, the word of God. So we need to dwell with our wives according to what the Word says. And if you, if you don't dwell with your wife according to what the Word says, you, you might think, you might believe in egalitarianism. You, you, might, you might believe uh, that we're just, you know, on a, on a same even Stephen plane. How many of you know men and women are differently? Are, are different, excuse me, I said that wrong. They're different and they operate differently. How many of you know that we're not supposed to be the same. I don't want to have a baby. I don't know about you, the rest of you guys, but I, my stomach's big enough without that happening. And I'm not pregnant. And so, you know, I, I don't, and I, I can't have a baby. Even if I wanted to have a baby, I couldn't have a baby. I don't want to have a baby. You know, I, and so we have a different role. And, and, we need to, and we need to remember that you'll find happiness 
in the way that God created you to be. Now, men, men have some heavier responsibilities put on them. And I know today in our culture today, you know, our culture hates masculinity. I mean, all you got to do is watch television for one night and see a few commercials. You can see that our culture hates masculinity. It absolutely hates male leadership. It ab- and, it's, and it's beginning to hate Christianity. It's, and, there, and there's so many things going on in our culture that are so dark and demonic. And they, it, it's like trying to tear down every institution of God, every principle and, and practical way of doing things that God has set up. The devil wants to tear down. But we need, as men, we need to dwell according to knowledge. Turn with me to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and we're going to look at something, what our role of what we're supposed to be doing. And it says there in Ephesians 5 and 26, I, I, it says that we, husbands, love your wives even as Christ, we'll start in verse 25, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So we have to give ourselves, that he may sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Our job is to wash our wife and our kids, so to speak, wash, what does that mean? Sanctify, cleanse them with constantly speaking the word, teaching them the word in, in our Bible time, in our prayer time, Bible study time, in our time just of devotion, reading a book. And we need to continually be speaking, as the head of the household, we need to set down some just very clear uh, you know, guidelines. In, in our house, we just decide we're going to have Bible time every morning. And it's going to be at such and such time. And we get up and we read the Bible every morning. We pray for the church every day. We pray for members of the family every day. We pray for the lost. We, we learn what the Bible says, and we stay with that every day because God told me through his word right here that I'm to be washing my family, my wife, namely first my wife, with the word of God. Now, that doesn't mean that she couldn't teach me. That doesn't mean that, you know, my wife's smarter than me in, in many, many ways. My, my wife's more talented than me in many, many ways. But you know what? That doesn't make any difference because that's not necessarily God's done. And it's not that it has to be, you know, like somebody who has some type of natural superior skill set or something like that. No, that's not it. Because God, you got to think a little bigger than that. Because God has a son, Jesus, and he has a bride, and he wants us to understand the typology of Christ being the head and us being the bride. Can I get an amen? He wants us to understand that bigger picture, that bigger symbolism, that he is the leader and we are the followers. And if we practice that in our home as husband and wife, that is not a put down of the wife. That doesn't mean the wife is in any way inferior or any of those things. All it means is God wants to symbolize and do some things with the husband and wife so that we can get used to what it's going to be like in heaven and that we can understand some of these principles because they're eternal. And so as we can see here, Turn with me to John now, the Gospel of John, in chapter 15 and 3. We can see this is exactly what Jesus does with us, and that he is washing us with the word as he teaches us the word. And look what it says there in verse 3, and Jesus is saying, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now this is Jesus talking, and he's talking to those who are part of the body of Christ. And he speaks the word. So there has to be one that's held accountable for the word. In Genesis 2, 16 and 17, we can go back there. And it was, and we'll just go there. It was God who gave Adam the doctrine concerning the tree. 
Now, what's the, what do you mean doctoring? He taught Adam about the tree and how to properly interact and what consequences would be if he didn't properly interact. So he was teaching him, so that makes it a doctrine. And it's a doctrine about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now look at this. It says in Genesis 2, verse 16, I covered some of this Wednesday night, so some of this is going to be repetitive for some of you. And the Lord God commanded the man. Now you've got to remember, this is before Eve was created, taken from man's side and made into a, a person. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying... Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So he teaches him about this tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says there's all kinds of trees in this garden. You can eat from those. So that, so that, that gives him one aspect of the doctrine. And then this other aspect of what kind of a tree it is. And thirdly, how to interact with that tree, do not eat from it. And then it, part of the teaching or the doctrine of the tree is what will happen if you do eat from it. And life is given through a prohibition. Prohibiting them to eat from that will bring life to them. Disobeying the prohibition, prohibiting them to eat, brings life, not life, but death to them. And so here, here's the doctrine. And he only gave it to Adam. Now, we know that Adam must have taught Eve somewhere along the line because in chapter 3, when the serpent came, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, and the Lord had made, and he said unto the woman. Now, the serpent didn't talk to the man. He only spoke with the woman. And so the woman didn't get it directly from God. She got it indirectly from Adam. So she may not be as well-grounded and knowing for sure that this is from God. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. See, now, she had received that doctrine from Adam. Everybody say, Adam had taught his wife. And the doctrine that she got from Adam was good, but the doctrine that she got from outside that relationship was bad. How many of you know the doctrine that the devil come back and said, the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, that your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods knowing good and evil. And so the doctrine she got from her husband was good. The doctrine that she got from her husband came from God. Because God has made a design that God speaks to the man and the man is to teach it to the wife. And the wife can teach it to the children. But when the wife bypasses the man and she goes off and, and gets a doctrine from, from the serpent, how many of you know that was not good sound doctrine? That was unhealthy doctrine. That was bad doctrine. And it was destructive doctrine. And it was not uh, from God. This is why in Corinthians, Paul tells us, you know, in the church, and we'll just read this verse. It's First uh, Corinthians 14.35. And if they will learn, it's talking about women, if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. See, as the women were all asking questions in the church, and that's all right if you ask questions, but, but at some point, the husband is being required by God to teach his wife. And so we're to, we're to dwell, husbands, with our wives according to knowledge. We, we need to understand that, number one, they're not the same as us. Number two, they don't have the same role as us. 
Number three, you can't treat them the same as you treat a man. And, and, and there's a whole bunch of things that you can learn from the Bible. You know, so, some, somebody came up with a book that men are from Venus and women are from Mars. Anybody remember that book? Oh, good. I was hoping you're not going to just look at me like, you're crazy, Pastor Bill. No, there really is a book called that. And it's because men and women seem like they're from a different planet sometimes. Anybody ever relate to that? Okay. Well, that's silliness, and we all know that. But let me tell you something. If you don't dwell with each other according to knowledge, you will be at each other's throat. You, you will, and, and I'm going to tell you something. Sorry to break your bubble. The psychiatrist, if he's not a Christian, isn't going to be able to get you on the right track with this. The counselor and the psychiatrist and the psychologist and whoever, whatever, why ever, whatever, uh, they're going to try real hard, but they don't take into account things like you, you've got a fallen nature. Uh, they can't even comprehend things like there really are things, spiritual forces out there that affect us and do things with us. They, they, can't, they don't even quite track with the idea that you reap what you sow. They, they wouldn't even dream that there really are such things as a, a curse on mankind and his fallenness and that that has to be broken over your lives and get born again. They, see, they don't comprehend any of that because it, they only go about so deep. But you have to be able to not just comprehend the physical, the physiological side of man. You've got to not be able to just to comprehend the psychological side of man. And as Christians, we can easily do that. But we take it a whole other step further. We need to understand about the spiritual side of man and the covenantal side with God and the fallen side of man and the redeemed uh, potential in man. Because there are many things that we'll not understand and we certainly won't understand about each other and we certainly won't understand about this holy and high and holy covenant called marriage that God created to reflect himself. And so it does take knowledge. And, and the simpleton will never get it. And the simpleton will never have a good marriage. And the simpleton is going to have to have some knowledge. Everybody say knowledge. You're going to have to know some things. And so in Genesis, it says uh, that we, we are uh, you know, created in God's image. Turn with me to Genesis. And uh, we're going to look. And you know, let me just throw, I'm going to throw this little element in just for free. This won't cost you a word. How many of you men are more visually motivated? Raise your hands. Just visually motivated. How many of you, it, it's almost easier to see, you know, when, if, if we get a new, you know, DVD or new computer, just give me pictures. Don't make me read 47 pages of somebody who doesn't know how to explain something. Any guys relate to that? If I'm going to assemble a chair, if I'm going to assemble, just give me pictures. How many guys just like pictures? It's easier. I'm a picture guy. I, I like pictures. I mean, I read a lot. I understand how to read, and I, and I can comprehend and read a lot and all that, and that's great and wonderful. But let me tell you something. A picture is worth a thousand worlds in my brain. Amen. How many of you ladies uh, like to talk with each other, like to just sit down and have a good talk over coffee with each other? Any, any ladies like doing that? Ladies like to talk. And they like to hear other ladies and people talk. Did you know the average man speaks about, if he's really on a high-flying day, maybe 500 words in a day? How many of you know ladies speak about 3,200 words in a day? Those, those, 
those are not my facts. Those are just basic facts. I can't remember if I got that from Barna, but that's, that's just a fact. Generally speaking, men don't like to have to listen. <laughs> Boy, now that one hit home. That was a bullseye, Pastor Bill. You better believe it. Let me tell you about it. No, I'm just kidding. My wife, my husband doesn't listen to anything I say when he gets home from work. He gets in front of that stupid television and we never... We've all, we've all heard that stuff before. But men don't like to listen. Always. They, they like to see things. And, and when they're tired, they almost can't listen. They almost can't pay attention. They're in their nothing box is what we, we learned several years ago. And... Uh, they're just, they're just liking and enjoying nothing. They just don't want to think right now. They don't want to listen right now, and they don't have it. But ladies like to talk. Is that not true? See, and, and something I find extremely interesting, extremely interesting. The Bible tells the man to teach the wife. The Bible tells the man to wash his wife with the word or be teaching her the word and speaking the word to her all the time. Because women like hearing words. And they like nice words. And they like pleasant words. Now, am I wrong, ladies, or am I just like way off? Is that right? Is that true? Can we, can we say that? Okay, good. Okay. See, I'm not a woman, so I have to take other people's word for that. <laughs> Men, is it true that it's, it's just sometimes easier if they if, just show me a picture well, see, interesting thing, because the Bible says that women, that we're to wash them with men. You need to learn to talk to your wives. This is this, men, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Well, you know one of the, one of the knowledge uh, aspects of the Bible? You know what it tells you? It tells you to talk to your wife. Because a wife learns by hearing and being spoken to. In First. Peter, just a few verses up, 1 Peter 3 on 2, it says, women, if your husband's not saved, don't ever preach to him because you're not going to do a bit of good. Let me show you something. Likewise, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, in other words, one of these guys that doesn't obey the Bible, doesn't know the Bible, doesn't hear the Bible, now get this, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be one. W-O-N, not O-N-E, W-O-N, may be one by the conversation of the wives. Conversation is not chat-chat. Conversation in the old King James means your lifestyle. Something they can see you doing. You become the picture for that guy that doesn't like to necessarily hear all your words. Now listen to me very carefully. While they behold, not while they hear, but while they behold your chaste lifestyle, in other words, godly lifestyle, coupled with fear. Men, your wives are made to be spoken to. Wives, your husbands are made to be acted out and modeled in front of. You want to affect your spouse for good and for God, 
Ladies, you're going to have to live it out for them to see. Men, you're going to have to speak it out for them to hear. There's a difference. You need to understand that because that's dwelling with your wife according to knowledge. She's not like you. Not even close. Somebody say, not even close. (laughs) She is not like you, and you are not like her. And you need to dwell with her, not just according to intuition. This is counterintuitive. You're going to have to dwell with her according to the knowledge that you learn out of the Bible. Somebody say amen this morning. So it's so important that we understand that. So let's, let's keep on going. So knowledge is, number one, I, I, I want men to, I'm going to give men some knowledge points. Turn to your neighbor, guys, and say, I'm going to receive some knowledge points. We're going to dwell according to knowledge. And one of the first things we're going to look at is to be heirs together. How many of you want to be heirs together of the grace of life? Because you're not going to do it apart from each other. God's not going to let you autonomously receive a bunch of grace and him in some different, unrelated fashion, non-covenantial way, uh, be the recipient of the, the... But not in this autonomous, us in our own separate worlds, with our own separate checking counts, in our own separate bed, going our own separate ways, with our own separate goals, and our own separate vision for our lives. No, you're not going to be recipients of the grace of life. It's together you become heirs of the grace of life, because that's what God blesses. That's what God wants the world to see, is a loving husband that's like Christ that lays down his life, and a loving wife who submits to him and lays down her life in the act of submission. They're both laying down their life in agape love, and that's what the world needs to see, because they need to see a love that is supernatural, that comes from God, demonstrated by Christians. They'll know us by our love. And love for a man and is to love and lay down his life for his wife. Love for a woman is submit to that man and give him honor. And you're going to understand any of that. You're not going to have a renewed enough mind to ever understand that unless you start dwelling according to knowledge. The knowledge of the word is the only way we're ever going to get that. Genesis 2.8. It's not good for man to be alone. Number one, we need to know, and let's just go there, and, and we need to know it's not good for us to be alone. Frustrated single men, uh, it's not good. I'm going to tell you something. It's very, it's very difficult, and it's very difficult uh, to be single. I'm not saying some people are gifted to be single. The Bible says that, too. Some people do have a special gift to be single. But for the most part, it's very difficult to be single. And uh, Genesis 2, we're just going to begin reading there, and it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmate for him. So number one, we aren't good alone. Men don't do well going it alone. How many men could say amen to that? Celibacy, you know, maybe a Catholic priest can do that, but most men can't do that. Most men aren't very good at details. They need someone to help them with the details. Help them with their etiquette. My wife helps me with my memory. She can remember everybody's name. I'd forget mine if it wasn't written down someplace. (laughs) You know, there's just, God brings us helpmates. And my wife is my helper. And in so doing, we are heirs of the grace of life together. It's not good for man to be alone. And God says, we need a helpmate. 
And we're not here to compete, but we're here to complete one another. I think that's so important. So one knowledge point is that it's not good for you to be... If you wondered why you're unhappy being a single, and maybe if you're a single, the, the Lord be with you and you find your, your spouse soon, or maybe you're called to that and you have a special grace, praise the Lord. But the gen, that's the exception to the rule. But the general rule is men need a wife really bad. And, we, and we're not going to make it alone very good without our wives. So that, how many of you know in Ecclesiastes it says two are better than one? Let's turn over to Ecclesiastes very quickly. And we're going to look at something there about what the Bible says about uh, two being much better than one. And, and it just works better when there's two of you. How many of you found that to be true? It just works better with two of you. Life is easier with two of you. Now, if you don't get along with each other, then, well, then you've got a problem. But Ecclesiastes 4, the Bible speaks very clearly, and this is alluding to marriage. And this is why the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. But God had for him to have a helpmate. All right, Ecclesiastes 4, we're going to begin in verse 8. There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet there is no end of all of his labor. Neither is his eyes satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor? And bereave my soul. This is also vanity. Yea, it is sore travail. You can't have kids. You're not as motivated because you, you kind of like doing it for your wife and bringing home the bread to your wife and family. And, and you like to have somebody to impress. You like to have somebody that you can bless. You like to be, uh, the, bread, you like to be the head of the house, the man, and, and all those wonderful things. But if you're alone, a lot of your motivation goes away. A, a lot of your satisfaction isn't there. And it says... Uh, there is no end of all your labor, neither is his eye satisfied. Neither is his eye satisfied. Everybody say satisfied. satisfied. Satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good. This is also vanity, yea, it is a sore travail. Two are better than one, verse 9 says, because they have a good reward for their labor. How many of you know it's, it's kind of hard to work alone, but just having one other person hold that piece of wood while you cut it, just having that other person just, you know, how many of you know it makes a world of difference when you have somebody helping you? Amen. For if they fall, the one will lift up this fellow, but woe unto him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. When two come together, a third party comes. Notice it doesn't say a twofold cord. It says, now they're talking about two people, but then it says a threefold cord. Marriage adds a threefold cord to your existence. Because when God joins two people together, there's something about God gets involved in that covenant of marriage. It goes, it isn't one plus one equals two. In marriage, it's one plus one equals three. God comes on the scene. God ratifies the covenant. God gets involved in keeping the reciprocity covenant going with blessings this way and blessings that way and doing things because you're both obeying God. God gets involved in that supernaturally. So it's not good to be alone. Number two. We see that in Genesis 2, 21 through 25, we see the Eve is taken out of man's rib and brought back to him, presented to him. 
And when I look at that, I think, wow, Eve is taken from man as a rib, and she needs to make him complete. We really are made from one, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And God took Eve from Adam and then brought him back and joined them together supernaturally in marriage. And says it's not good to be alone, and so he brings them together. And they operate as one, not two competing forces. You know, you're not Siamese twins trying to go two different directions. God has joined you together for supernatural purposes to complement each other. Number three, knowledge point. Let's go ahead and turn to Proverbs 19.14. I, I, I like this scripture. Uh, it's, it's really good. It talks about how an inheritance comes from uh, fathers, you know. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It talks about natural inheritances and things like that. But I like what this says in Proverbs 19.14. I'm just going to read it. Houses and riches are inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. How many of you know Eve was from the Lord for Adam? Now, you've got got to recognize that your wife isn't just somebody that you found. Your wife, you know, some, do you believe that there's only one person in the world that we're supposed to marry, Pastor Bill, do you believe that? I believe there's one best person if you're led by the Spirit of God. But I believe that you can have a happy marriage uh, as long as you both walk in love and you're both godly Christians that have uh, the desire to obey God and walk in the love walk. I believe that. But I believe that there's a best. But whether it's you found the best or if it's a person that you're just two uh, godly people and you're, and you're married, or however you see that, I'm not going to go down that trail today. But regardless, she is from the Lord. That concept comes from God. And she will become that one that's from, the, and you need to treat her like she is from the Lord. Not like she was from the Lord when we were dating and she was from the Lord the first six months we were married. And then she, she's, she's from the Black Lagoon and she's from hell after that. No. You know, how many, how many you know some people that it just kind of goes downhill? And, and that perfect person that you couldn't hardly wait to marry all of a sudden becomes this terrible person. No. No, you, you need to dwell according to knowledge. You need to treat her as if she's a gift from God all the days of your life. And all the ladies said, amen. It's really true, men. The men are so quiet right now. You could hear a pin drop in that church. But I will say this. Women like Delilah, how many of you say that when Samson married Delilah, the harlot, and she kept trying to find out his secret so she could sell it off to the Philistines and have him come in and the Philistines take him and destroy him. How many know wives like Delilah are not from the Lord? How many of you ever read Proverbs, the seventh chapter, about the whorish woman who seduces, who does all these things? And the Bible says the path to her house is the path to hell. Many strong men have died and they'll never return from hell. Seducing women, how many of you know that type of person is not from the Lord? Amen. So when the Bible says that a godly woman is from the Lord, it's speaking in a general sense, just like a wicked, ungodly, horse woman is not from the Lord. 
And so we need to be thankful, and we need to treat a, a godly spouse as a gift from God. How many of you know if you treat your wife as a gift from God, you may treat her a lot differently? Amen. Now let's, let's just jump over the page, and we go to Proverbs 18 and 22. Let me give you another knowledge point, men. 18 and 22 says this, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor from the Lord. One translation, uh, the basic English Bible says, you gain approval from the Lord when you find a wife. You find a good thing and you find approval. What is that? Approval for what? What do you mean approval? Because God made man and women to go together. And God gives a, a certain favor, a certain blessing, a certain approval on that. God approves of marriage. In the old wedding vows, it talks about how marriage is a noble thing. And, you know, in culture today, the number one cause of poverty in America is divorced single-parent moms. Fox News, a secular news organization, said, uh, if you want prosperity in America, stay married. The number one cause of prosperity in America, oh, it's how much money you make, Pastor Bill. Oh, it's how much money you save. It, it's whether you got a good stock you know, investor, if you got a good portfolio. No, it's a proven fact. The number one path to prosperity is staying married. Now, that's no condemnation on people who've been th through a divorce. Divorce is a hard thing. But you, more than anybody else, knows how difficult that is on a person's finances. You single moms know more than anybody else how difficult it is to make a dollar stretch. Marriage is this holy institution that if you interact with it right, it will bless you. And when we understand these things and we dwell according to knowledge, uh, the Bible taught us this thousand years ago. I didn't need to have Fox News tell me that on television about three weeks ago. I already knew that. It's like, that's old news, guys. That's not newsflash. We Christians already have known that for like, let me think, only 2,000 years. And so we look at that and it says, who finds a, a good wife findeth a good thing or obtains approval or favor, favor, wow. Let's go to Genesis 127, 28. So if you find a wife, you get blessed. Why? Because two are better than one. Look how God puts a blessing on couples. Now, men, you need to understand this. These are things, these are knowledge points that we as men need to know because we need to dwell with our wife according to knowledge. We need to hate even the word divorce, men. We need to despise that wicked, vile word that destroys our culture, destroys our kids, destroys our spouse, and destroys ourselves, right along with our finances and everything else that we ever worked for all of our life. We need to hate that. We need to be the major proponents against it. And we need to be the keepers of our marriage. Amen. Let's look, look here in verse 27, and it says, And God created man in his image. In his own image, God created him male and female. God's image is a male and a female joined together. This is a piece of knowledge. We do not fully reflect God's image, men, without our wives, because we're missing a rib otherwise. When God puts a man and woman together, it says, And God created man in his image, his own image. In the image of God created he him male 
and female created he them. And God blessed them. Now notice it doesn't say, and God blessed the woman and God blessed the man. Notice it doesn't say that they were blessed separately. Notice it doesn't say that they were blessed autonomously, differentially. He blessed them. Everybody say them. Them means two together. God's blessing is on the them. That we may be heirs together. I'm back over in 1 Peter 3, 7. That we may be heirs together, together of the grace of life. We were made to receive grace together. What's the grace of life? Well, grace to prosper, grace to be healed, grace to raise good kids, grace to be happy, grace to be a success, grace to be a leader, grace to, to do whatever, grace to overcome sins, grace to overcome your depression, your addiction, whatever problem you have, grace of life together. There's something about what you can't get over alone, you'll be able to get over if you both do it together because two are better than one. Grace And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. Can you do that alone, guys? No, you need a wife to be fruitful and multiply, to have kids. And then you need a wife not just to biologically have the child, but you need a wife to be able to teach the little girls how to be little ladies. And you need a man in the house to spank those little boys and teach them how to be little gentlemen. And you're going to have to have the understanding of how little boys are, little girls are. You're going to have to teach them how to be a good spouse. You're going to have to teach them how to raise their kids. And and there's a male side to everything, and there's a female side to everything. And your kids are not going to have the same balance if if they're raised in a one-parent home. And yet some parents do wonderfully good, and you can try to get some mentors in there and help them, and it's good. And, and, And many times, but it's much harder as if there is a balance of a man in the house and a woman in the house. Testosterone and estrogen need to balance each other. Believe me. And so what you, you really need to have there is this intact marriage, and God can bless your lives. Somebody say amen. amen. To be fruitful and multiply. Fruitful means to have kids, and multiply is teach your kids how to have good kids. You add to your family by fruitful, you multiply your family when your kids have kids. When you've got five kids having kids, I don't even know that's called multiplication, not just addition. Okay, so be fruitful and multiply. And then subdue and have dominion. Well, subduing is just like going out in the forest and subduing some land, you know, running off all the, all the bears and the, and the wolves and, and chopping down the trees and building your house. And then that's your domain now. Subduing today means uh, having money and, and, and purchasing and then owning your home and paying it off, paying the mortgage off, and now it's your domain. It's a little different than it maybe it was a few hundred years ago, but it's got the same basic end in mind. When you do those things... There's something about, there's a woman who knows how to help uh, make a home, and the man, and the man helps, know, knows how to maybe go out and subdue some things, and, and the woman stays back and, and provides a good place for the man to come. Rest. I mean, there, there's just a lot of interaction in those verses, but God says that he blessed them to be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, and he blessed them to subdue and have dominion over it. And you think, well, that's a little outdated. Well, no, it isn't, because I saw just a few years ago, and you've, you've all heard me tell this before, there was a Harvard study on the most successful uh, 500 top executives in America. And they were heads over for, Fortune 500 companies. They were head over major corporations. 
And these were the 500 of the most successful CEOs in America. And they couldn't find, you know, what's the common denominator of their success? Is it because they all went to Ivy League schools? Is it because they all had, you know, some type of super gifting or their education or, or something? And you know what they found out, what the success to these guys was? Is they all had good marriages and stayed married. They were all in happy marriages, and they were all content with their spouse, and they're all living out their life together, loving their spouse, and having a great time, and, and never been divorced. Are we not happy about that this morning? Again, that's dwelling with your spouse according to knowledge. Let me tell you something. Marriage is powerful. That you might be heirs of the grace of life together. Now, Harvard's not very inclined to give Christianity any uh, accolades at all. They're a very secularistic, almost anti-Christian institution. And when institutions like that point out to marriage is what creates successful, happy, wealthy, uh, prospering, uh, leadership, high-function type of people, then we ought to pay attention because we already know that from the Bible. But now we have another confirming element to it. Somebody say amen. So when we, when we understand these things, uh, we just need to realize that there, there's a fruitful marriage is, is, is a powerful thing. We need to dwell with our wives according to knowledge so that we can be heirs of the grace of life together. See, it was when Adam and Eve got divided that all those things that being fruitful and multiplying... Subduing and taking dominion. How many of you know when their marriage got divided by this little serpent rat got in there, when Eve quit listening to her husband's teaching and listened to somebody else's, followed somebody else and didn't follow Adam, Adam comes with the doctrine of the tree, made it really simple. Hey, honey, we ain't supposed to eat of that thing. You can eat all the rest of the garden. The devil says, oh, that's not true. Listen to me. I'll give you another doctrine. If you're to learn anything, it says, go to your husbands, ladies, because they love you more than anybody else in this world, and they'll be more intent on telling you the truth than anybody else in the world. And when she listened to Satan, instead of being fruitful and multiplying, her dear little Cain killed her Abel. That wasn't very fruitful. And the beginning of what we call in all theological commentaries and every Bible uh, book that helps you to understand the scriptures, what's called the evil line of Cain, where it became a completely line of people that were in rebellion to God. You see, when marriage gets divided, when Adam and Eve, who were going along just fine in perfect agreement, and Adam was teaching his wife, and then all of a sudden something divided them, and a different doctrine came in, and Eve led Adam to eat of the tree, instead of Adam leading Eve to not eat of the tree, then their family got destroyed. They weren't fruitful. They were devastated. Their kids killed each other. Their kids, part of their family became the evil line opposed to God. Men, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. It's important. 
And now, did they not only not have a good being fruitful and multiplying, they became murderous and divided. Then the Bible says that they were cursed in childbirth, and the woman was always insecure and, and wanting to control the man. And the man, whatever he did, weeds would grow up instead of good ground. And they were under a curse. And the Bible says they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. How many remember that over in Genesis 3? So their dominion, instead of getting subduing and taking dominion, they were subdued by Satan's lie and became pawns, and he became the god of this world, and they were oppressed and sinful and fallen. How many of you know that's being subdued instead of subduing? They became subdued by Satan, and instead of gathering, gaining a dominion, they were kicked out of their domain, which was the perfect, beautiful Garden of Eden where perfect fellowship with God took place. Why? Because Adam did not dwell with Eve according to knowledge. And they no longer were the heirs to the grace of life. Like 1 Peter 3 says that we need to be heirs, joint heirs together of the grace of life. I don't know about you, but I don't want to have a lifestyle like Adam and Eve. I don't want my kids killing each other, and I don't want to get kicked out of my dominion. Somebody say amen. He lost the garden. Wow. Back to 1 Peter. We're just halfway through one verse. I'm sorry it took so long. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel. Let's talk about giving honor. Giving honor to the weaker vessel. Again, it's only talking about the physical. Proverbs 12.4. Let's go to Proverbs 12.4. I like this scripture. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. But she that maketh ashamed is a rottenness to his bones. But let's not, let's not focus on that second half. Let's look on the first part. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Wow. How many of you know in 1 Corinthians 11.7 it says the woman is the glory of the man? Anybody know that? It says the woman is the glory of the man. And, 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 and part of that, understanding the definition of that word, is she's the reflection of the man, but she's also the glory of the man. And as I look at that, crowns in the Bible, how many of you know the Bible says there's a soul winner's crown? How many of you know that there's a, an elder or a thing called the pastor's crown, bishop's crown? And there's different crowns or rewards. How many of you know that's not some little piece of tin on your head? A crown is a dominion, a domain. Those who will be faithful with ten minus, I mean to, to double their minus, will be put over ten cities, the Bible says. A crown is a domain that you'll be given in the eternal state. Crowns are representative. They're nothing in and of themselves. They're only symbolic to say that you have rulership over a domain or a dominion. That's all a crown is, is it's a sign to people around you that you have a, a, an authority and a leadership and a, and, a, and a domain that you've been, putting o, been put over, excuse me. And so when we understand that, men, your glory, your wife is your crown because with your wife, you can be victorious in being fruitful and multiplying and subduing and having dominion. 
Because when you take dominion, with that domain or dominion or that area comes a crown. God wants us to have crowns when we get to and, You know, one of the crowns that we have is the people that we lead to Jesus, it says in 1 Thessalonians 2, that the rejoicing in our crown will be those who we have won to the Lord. See, Jesus sent them out two by two. I believe that the greatest helpmate that your wife will ever be is in soul winning and ministering to people and helping others. And your wife is your crown. She's your crown in glory. She, she's, you know, she's somebody that you're proud of and all that, and I understand all that. But your crown is she's the one that's able to make you be fruitful and multiply. She's that helpmate. She's that helpmate like that Harvard study told us that helps us to be a subduer in life, a take dominion guy in life, a guy that gets put over corporations, a guy that gets put over his area at work, a guy that amasses uh, uh, maybe wealth or things for the kingdom of God to help the kingdom of God go forward. Your wife, if you will treat her rightly, you will interact with her rightly, you will have her as your helpmate in a right way will cause you to be a success in life. Men dwell according to knowledge. You were made to have a wife. You are made to honor her. You are commanded by God to treat her in certain ways. Somebody say amen. See, when we understand that, amazing things can begin to happen in our lives. And we can become heirs together, and we can honor. Let me read to you uh, something that uh, I got out of a commentary. In the ancient Jewish world, that when they did wedding vows, they said some things very interesting. This, and this commentator says this, particularly giving honor to the wife by speaking well of her and respect, being respectfully to her and by deeds as well as words, not only by clothing her in a decent and becoming manner suitable to her station, but by providing everything honest and comely for her, food, raiment, a suitable maintenance, all the necessities, conveniences, and delights of life that are laudable and proper, in which sense the word honor is used. Amen. And it was agreeable to the doctrine of the Jews who say this, and in their wedding vows, this is what one Jewish scholar said that the Jews would a common saying, let me put it that way. Let a man always take care of the glory of his wife, for there is no blessing found in a man's house but for the sake of his wife, as it is said. And he entreated Abraham well for her sake. And Rabbi used to say to the citizens, honor your wives that you may be rich. Another thing he says, and indeed it was, and indeed this is what they promised in their marriage covenant, which runs like this. Be thou unto me for a wife according to the law of Moses and Israel. And I, by the word of heaven or God, will worship and honor and nourish and take care of thee according to the customs of the Jews who worship and honor and nourish and take care of their wives. Now, that word worship, be, don't jump to conclusions. It was also said, the woman also in her vows, it says that she was to worship. Their idea of worship isn't like the sole and exclusive worship for God. It was just an expression of love. You all understand that. So, so take that word worship advisedly. But this is how seriously, you know, honor your wives that you may be rich. 
I believe this, when you take care of your kids and your wives right, God will bless your finances. I believe that when you have that covenant thing going, that everything starts working your way and your children are blessed, your finances are blessed, your life becomes blessed. When men, we are honoring our wives and living with them according to knowledge. Now, let me say this last thing, and we're going to close on this. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, if you don't live this way, and you don't dwell with your wives according to what the Word of God says, according to this knowledge of this union of marriage and the blessings that are on marriage that you happen to be a part of when you get married, that your prayers will not be answered. If you don't get along with each other, and the Bible says over in Ephesians, it says that we are not to go to bed on your wrath. How many of you know you're supposed to give, forgive each other and reconcile every night before you go to bed? You'll wake up depressed, confused, and not knowing why you can't hear God's voice the next day. I said, you'll wake up depressed and confused, not understanding why you can't get direction from God the next day if you don't ask for forgiveness and get forgiveness and get reconciled with your spouse before you go to bed at night. Don't sleep on your wrath. It will mess you up emotionally. It will screw you up psychologically, and it'll confuse you spiritually. You need to take care of business and close out your accounts at the end of the day. And there's something about that if you don't do this thing right in marriage... Don't even expect God to answer your prayers. Your prayers will not be answered if you don't do this, guys. Dwell with your wife according to knowledge that your prayers being answered depends largely upon how you interact with your wives. Somebody said amen.